The Not A Foodie Studio in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn. It's the Not A Foodie Show. Wow! I know. Every week it just gets a little bit higher. It gets. I, I was, that was me channeling Kermit from the Muppet Show. <laughs> <laughs> the Not A Foodie Show is your radio show slash podcast on all things food and food culture with um, your two incredibly good-looking hosts. We have faces for radio. I am Tom Mialli. Mike Moranti. And that's Mike Moranti. <laughs> and we are the Not a Foodie crew. Um, Mike, we got a we got a heck of a show today. Um, we've got We Liz- booked a guest that I've been asking for like two years for her to come on, and we finally got my friend Lizzie Asher on. Yeah, and she I mean, I'm very excited for yeah. this because it's like geeking out about liquor and, and there was a reason why I was asking her for like two years to come on. Yeah, she just sounds like an incredible person. Um we also talk about a bunch of food stuff like we always do, but let's start with food news. It's food news. I See, I, my opening gets better every, or <laughs> higher was, every week. But that, that was bad. That, that was, was really terrible. bad. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so do you have a food news item that you want to talk about? Kind of. It's not so much like a news article. It's uh, more just what the entire internet's saying. Um... Oh, okay. Do you want me to go first, or do you want to? Do you have no, time to first. compose yeah, this yeah. thought? Okay, go ahead. Uh, the entire internet saying Hudson Yards outside of uh, David Chang's spot sucks. <laughs> uh, do, so explain to people what Hudson Yards Hudson is. Hudson Yards is a man man made neighborhood in New York City. Yeah, which sounds like yeah, every neighborhood's man made. No, every neighborhood's like hundreds of years old, like, immigrants settled there and, like, built it up. I mean, you know, there were exceptions. There's Stytown, which is, like, you know, 75 years old, maybe. But, like, people built, and, and, you know, down by the World Trade Center area, like, that whole area is new. That has only been around since the 70s. Um, But the Hudson Yards, to me, I mean, I find it really interesting because it's New York City really just completely building a new neighborhood yeah. in a skyscraper, in a mall, pretty it, much. It was the one part of New York City where there was nothing there. Where or, you could still buy weed. Where you would just, <laughs> I, you walk down that way to like just smoke a joint. Cause there, it was only the UPS building or the USPS building or whatever is over there. Yeah. And nothing else. Yeah. Um, the High Line was over there, but like not really. Not like really. It just went through it. But now it connects. My favorite dive bar was there. Billy Marks West. Is which it still there? I no, don't know. No, there's no way it's there anymore. I don't know. For a long time, they got around the smoking ban inside, you know, inside bars because you had to, if you were a business that had no employees, you can sort, you can smoke. You can make it so that customers can smoke. So it was just the owner? It was the owner and his brother named Billy and Mark. The name of the <laughs> bar is Billy Marks. And so that we're not, we're not this, employees. We own the we own the place, and they were bartending all the time. <laughs> and you would walk in there, and it would be like a disgruntled postal worker sipping a beer at the end of the bar. It was an old man dive bar. I don't know if it's still there. It might still be there. I love that place. It has a piece of my heart. But anyway, that's where Hudson Yards is. Now Hudson Yards is across the street from that is this clean, sanitary new neighborhood. So uh, inside the mall that is Hudson Yards, there's a bunch of high end restaurants that have opened up. And outside of David Chang's Kawi, which is a high-end Korean restaurant that sort of looks like a Las Vegas restaurant put mm-hmm. into Manhattan, 
I mean that in the best possible way. Um, everyone's got, taking a beating. It's either not good or it's way too expensive or it's way too expensive and not good. Every full-fledged restaurant is getting, like, killed in Hudson Yards. By, yeah, killed by reviews. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I haven't been to Hudson Yards. I, I have not. I, I was there on Sunday mm-hmm. uh, because Alex, friend of the show, he's a... Uh, Former guest of the show. Bar manager at uh, the drugstore, which still doesn't have a liquor license. So I had a mocktail over there, mm-hmm. which was delicious. But um, everywhere, everything's getting killed there. Like, 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 what do you mean? Like, there were, I, I, there were some really crazy scathing reviews yes. this week, right? So like, the uh, Milos, there's a Greek wine bar, and then there's a, a Estiatorio Milos, mm-hmm. and they charge by the pound. They have all the fish out, and you pick your fish by the pound. So how does it work? Like, any preparation? Like, I, I uh, want that halibut, but I want, you know, I don't a even think so. I think halibut? it's like they have it done already. I don't know. But you don't say you want a pound. You get the fish. And then you don't see them weighing it. So they're charging you way too much. And uh, the eater line that stuck with me was like, it's a place where you can have a grand meal and feel disappointed or an average meal and feel disappointed. <laughs> so like... <laughs> that's good writing. I don't so, know. who, who Whoever wrote Sutton, that over Ryan at Sutton. Eater. Oh, that was Sutton? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great line. <laughs> and that that's how I feel about a lot of places. So I... Yeah, and that there nothing pisses me off more than spending a bad way meal. too much money with for a mediocre meal, or even you know like, like yeah, like a, not even a not even too much money, a regular amount of money for a mediocre. I don't want a mediocre meal ever. Yeah, that's yeah. it. No, I I hear you. Um, cool. Yeah, no, I don't know anything about Hudson Yards except that they have what is it called the sculpture or uh, the the thing. thing. Whatever yeah. it is, the thing, you know, the thing with the thing. The, 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 the. It'll come to me, I think. <laughs> yeah, the thing that you climb, uh, that they're renaming, um, that you have to buy tickets for, that that whole thing. But anyway. Um, so what I, food news do you have? I have, uh, I have the Twitter vessel. news. I have the, the vessel, vessel, the vessel, yeah. the vessel. I have Twitter news. All I right. have two things that came up on Twitter. Um, this is my favorite so far. Um, our girl, Ag- Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. AOC. AOC. Um, lover or hater, you have to love her position on drinks. She, uh, she's bartending, um, this week in, she's coming back to bartend. (laughs) Oh my, I love, if I couldn't love her more. Okay. So she's coming back to bartend and so she, she had a few tweets and this is my favorite. So someone tweeted, um, she's returning to her restaurant roots this week. She's going to serve drinks to show support for the federal raise wage act, um, abolishing below minimum wage for tipped workers. Right. So she retweeted that and she said, to the Silver Spoon classes saying they're going to make AOC bartend again, you're in luck. I'll be bartending in New York District 14 this week to promote a national living wage. So there you have it, you bunch of milk drinkers. Let's see if my margarita and mocktail game is still on point, right? So that, that's, that's good. That's a fun little bit of, you know, AOC news. Then she followed it up. I think I could bartend better than her. I'm sure you can. <laughs> you, can you can't legislate better, though. No, no, no. I'm, it's like maybe the one thing I can do better than she can do. Um, and then she follows it up with, at the event, I will also unveil my newest platform policy, Abolish Sour Mix 2020, with a winky face. Oh, I'm all, I, next, I recant that statement. Okay, good. Next tweet. <laughs> Use real citrus juice for your sours, people. You deserve so much better than what you're settling for with a crying face emoji. So this is this is probably she's got some great tweets. This is my favorite tweet that I think everybody. This is a bipartisan. Everybody needs to get behind this platform of 
abolishing sour mix for your Go cocktails. throw out whatever roses, lime juice you have in your house right now. Get up. Get off the couch that you're listening on. Go to the cupboard and throw out that bottle of roses, lime juice. We're going to love ourselves. We're going to do better. <laughs> we, are do- we can do better. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you love AOC. Do you think that this is what brings the parties together, this, this hatred of roses, lime juice? No. I mean, it's a common enemy. No, I'm going to guess that um, some people, just because I like it, will start defending it. <laughs> we'll, we'll start defending it? Yeah. Because you're a, you're a uh, left coast or a, you know, a leftist coastal elite. Mm-hmm. Yes, so now people, now there's going to be a spike of, uh, there's going to be a brand of <laughs> Rose's, Rose's Lime, Lime Juice, Juice with a MAGA hat on it that is going to sell out and... People are just going <laughs> to videotape themselves in their states. cars just drinking it. <laughs> drinking just Rose's Lime drink. oh, To own the, the lives. Yes, does this annoy you? <laughs> We're going to drink Rose's Lime Juice and Collins Mix to, to own the lives. <laughs> uh, all right, well... <laughs> My other piece of of Twitter news, and this is really quick, but I thought this was ridiculous. The New York Times posted a recipe for um, a hummus, like like one of the best hummuses that you'll ever have. And I I don't know if it was in the headline or if it was in the tweet that they sent out that accompanied the headline, um, that accompanied the recipe. It's like, don't let using a whole clove of garlic scare you off from this hummus mix. When they don't mean an entire garlic, they just mean like, like one, a, one, one little piece clove, of garlic. One little clove of garlic, yeah. So don't let that scare you off. And I thought, who is this for? Who is scared off by- One garlic. One little thing of garlic. Like, I, I just, I didn't understand it. And I have gone on the record on this show saying that one clove of garlic is never enough for pretty, for 99% uh, of anything that you're going to make. When the recipe calls for a clove of garlic, use two cloves Tom, of garlic. Tom, I've been going so garlic heavy, I just use an entire garlic for almost anything I make. An entire head of garlic? Yeah, an entire garlic. Wait, wait, when you say almost. an entire garlic, an entire head of garlic. <laughs> yeah, like, like you're not quantifying that. You could yeah. be like a crop of garlic, a bunch of garlic. <laughs> I use an garlic. entire garlic. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's like saying, I oh, mean... I had a barbecue this weekend, I made cow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I made one I've been one using cow. Like almost a whole garlic. <laughs> for, like, like if I'm gonna make like two or th- if I'm gonna make like three different meals, uh-huh. I'll buy three garlics <laughs> and three, just have a three little heads bit of garlic. Stop saying three garlic. Three heads of garlic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I think I I applaud your use your heavy handed garlic. I applaud that. <laughs> Just please get the terminology right. When I'm food shopping, I say, how many garlics do I need? And then I buy appropriately. (laughs) All right. You need to compose yourself. So I think it's time for us to take a break. Okay. Um, We've got an awesome show. Um, Lizzie Asher is here. She is a co-president or the president of... Pisco. Ma- Machu Pisco. Machu Co-founder Pisco. Slash Co-founder president slash president of Machu Pisco. Of Machu Pisco. Maybe I need to con- uh, like just con- get you, myself. Yes. You need a garlic. I do. I need, <laughs> I need garlic. Um, we've got plenty more coming. We'll be back in a minute. This is the Not A Foodie Show. At Not A Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us. DM us. And <laughs> tell us how much garlic, how many garlics you use in your recipes. Be back, back in a minute. This. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. 
That's info at notafoodie.com. Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture. It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session tell them that the not a foodie show sent you and i'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount bk media studio in the heart of greenpoint brooklyn right next to the g train brooklyn's most convenient studio welcome back to the not a foodie show i'm tom AKA at Team Alley. AKA. <laughs> AKA. XOXO. Across from me, as always, is Mike Moranti. Mike, who are you? At Mike Moranti. And we are Maranti. at. Moranti. <laughs> and we are at Not a Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Mike. Yes, sir. Speaking of Instagram, I, uh, I was uh, go- like scrolling through your feed. You know, checking things out as I do on social media. Lots of my dog. Lots yeah, of Lots Nashville. of photos of your dog. But one jumped out at me. Um, because it was a really nice, well put together plate. Um, I think it was a breakfast that you. No, made? It, it was lunch. It was it lunch, was but it had an top. egg on it, yeah. so I assumed it was breakfast. Um, so I just saw it and I was like, "Oh, that's a nice little photo." Then I was to to my shock and surprise, it was you who posted it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't usually post like food pictures like I yeah, do, right? I don't like dress things up. I, yeah, except like pasta. It's like in a plastic bowl. <laughs> so. Um, so explain what it was, because you got a really good positive reaction. From yeah, it. it was literally, it cost maybe a dollar to make. It was rice. Mm-hmm. The bottom was white rice. Then it was a succotash of uh, black beans and corn. And then it was just uh, an over easy egg with some tagine and then some sriracha, like fancy. So a little spicy. Uh, eh. It's breakfast, it's eggs. So rice. how did you make all of these individual components? Um. So I made the rice... My roommate made the beans, just, and she just had, like, some beans left over. Corn, I just, I had the cob, I just cut them off, and I just sautéed it. Okay. And then I, I over-easied the egg, yeah. Nice. <laughs> so it's, so succotash <laughs> was not made. You decided, I'm going to brand this as succotash. You're, you put your menu writing hat on, and, uh, yeah, you well, made succotash. Well, I just called it uh, black beans and rice, but then I showed it to the sous chef and he's at my restaurant, because I was like, look, <laughs> look what I can do. And he's like, oh, that's like a succotash. <laughs> I was very proud of this plate. <laughs> so it was it's it was a really nice looking plate and it was delicious from what I hear. I mean, yeah, I didn't I taste mean, it. it. I, I what I do, I threw a tab of butter in the beans and the corn. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, yeah, I had butter to it and it'll be delicious. And then I just seasoned that and then it was just white rice. The tagine's really good. Oh, tagine is like, I mean, I was introduced to it a couple of years ago, just sprinkled on. Can you describe on... it? I can't, it's like spicy lime salt. It, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's like dehydrated lime with chili peppers and salt. And um, you you just, it's very popular oh, Mexican. For the summer, it's really good to rim a margarita with too. It's really good just on fruit. I mean, you just sprinkle tagine on, you know, cantaloupe or anything like that. And it's like the Mango. most perfect perfect little condiment to uh, to fruit fruit salad and anything like that. I love it. It's like, it is my, I am going on record as saying that this is my 
condiment of the summer is move over uh, Gucci yes. <laughs> No, well, Gucci is my all year round <laughs> condiment. Tagine is my condiment of the summer because it just it tastes like you should be eating, um, uh, just eating fruit in from a bowl on a beach in Mexico somewhere. That's about it. Anyway, so you made this dish, and what I what I found fascinating about it is that you know. I looked at it, I looked at all the little pieces, all the little components, and it cost you, like, nothing. It's and, rice, corn, beans, and an egg, yeah. Right, right. So I I love that sort of cooking. Bowling I, on a budget. Yeah, bowling on a budget. Mm-hmm. That's it. Bowling on a budget or bowling on a budget? Bowling. Bowling? Bo- bowling on a budget. It's a, like a Thursday night. That's like what I thought you said, thing. bowling on a budget. Yeah. I was like, all right, yeah. Tuesday but... night, two games for one, free <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Uh, but balling on a budget, actually, actually, bowling on a budget sounds better to me than balling on a budget. But balling on a like baller meals, creating a baller meals with, with just what's around, or like you know your your own kitchen chopped challenge of you know garbage that you have laying around in your kitchen. I love those those sort of meals. Um, do you have any other examples of things I, that you've done? I like to pimp out a uh, instant ramen. Like, what do you mean? Like, so you like, just take like the regular instant ramen. I make that the you instant get. ramen. Okay, and then I'll like make a an egg. Like a fried egg, mm-hmm. and I'll uh, I'll cook up some pork, some like cheap cuts of pork, and just throw it all in there, and you know some soy sauce and uh, mir- mirin, 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 and just like make like a, a fancy ramen that isn't fancy at all. And oh, always chive. You always, always get chive. Oh, oh, fresh chive. Yeah. yeah, fresh herbs make such a difference in anything. Mm-hmm. You put fresh herbs on any sort of prepackaged garbage, and you know it it fancies it up. We're, also, an egg. Put a, put a fried egg on oh, top of yeah. your ramen. Eggs are, you could almost, eggs are kind of a condiment. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll throw an egg on top of a soup, I'll throw an egg on top of rice, I'll throw an egg on top of a burger. Yeah, no, I, I put eggs on top of uh, lots of things. Eggs on top of salads are one of my, like, summertime meals. So I'll, mm-hmm. like, get some leafy green vegetables and, like, a really crispy fried egg so that the pan is really, really hot, so you make sure that the edges are crispy, but the yolk is barely done, and then you chop it all up, and it turns the uh, the yolk turns into a dressing for mm-hmm. the salad. That's like one of my go-to summer, yeah, you know, summer meals. What about uh, do you sous vide poached eggs when you're just like doing something quick, or are you just no? Like... I don't usually. If I have to do a batch of of eggs of poached eggs, I'll use the sous vide system. But I find that if I'm just doing one or two, it's easy just to boil them for however long, and then shock them in cold water, and and that's it. Um, when I'm making, when I'm dressing up my ramen with a with an egg. Um, but what I what I really love to do, balling on a budget, is make use of leftovers. So, for example, the, uh, repurposing we had, leftovers. Uh, repurposing leftovers. We had a bunch of skirt steak um, leftover from barbecues this weekend, and. Yesterday, I sliced it really thin. I chopped it up and I added um, a bunch of like that, you know, that cherry pepper hoagie spread, sort mm-hmm. of the spicy cherry pepper. Added that to it, some mozzarella on top, and made it into a um, a burrito. <laughs> I put it all inside a <laughs> put it all inside a wrap, wrapped it up, and you know, fried it a little Went bit on the other side. It. Yeah, and that was it. And then um, I had some leftover arugula that I just had on the side. Um, let's I, see. I'm gonna. Batch out some uh, sweet potatoes, I think, and just like instead of making them whole, cut them into uh, little coins. Yeah. yeah, and those are really good just to have and throw on top of anything or with anything. I'm not a fan of the sweet potato. I am not. What about like the Japanese sweet potato? Yeah, still. Eh, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'm not not a big fan of uh of that sort of thing. I like it during uh the winter months. 
I like it in a sweet potato pie or, you know, mashed sweet potatoes, but I'm not a big fan of sweet potatoes. Like, I would not batch out sweet potatoes. I would batch out, like, pizza. <laughs> I do well, batch I, out pizza. Eight, individually wrapped slices, slices in a yeah. pie. So that's yeah, it's, a week in a day. Yeah, it's, well, pizza. one day you get to have two slices. That's, <laughs> um, oh, but, like, takeout? I love doctoring up takeout. Well, that's the, the David Chang thing about um, fried rice at home is you just use day-old Chinese takeout. I made, um, uh, did I make, yeah, I used, I had Chinese takeout last week, um, one night where, like, my kids had eaten, I had gotten home late, I ordered from um, Spicy Cuisine, the Szechuan huh. place. Um, they normally don't deliver to my neighborhood, but they deliver to my house because they know who I am. Did they know to make it spicy this <laughs> yes, time? Yes, they did. When we went there, I told the guy, make it extra spicy. And he thought I said, don't make it spicy. So nothing came out spicy. <laughs> and it was gross. It, was it, was, like... <laughs> it wasn't gross. It was just disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> but I got the um, I got the, the pork belly cabbage mm-hmm. again. Um, and then my son comes downstairs because he heard the doorbell ring. And if there's food co- entering the house, he needs to know that, what food is in the house because he is a food accountant. And he was, you know, complaining, oh, I had to eat, you know, pizza before my baseball game. And you guys get to have really fancy Szechuan. And we're like, all right, whatever. Go to bed. Yes, I said, correct. Yeah, yep, that's it. I said, I'll leave you. And this was the hardest thing I've done as a parent. In, in my nine years, nine plus years of being a parent, the hardest thing that I have done as a parent is to leave a little bit left over of this delicious pork belly cabbage for him, um, which I did. And so the next morning, I uh, for breakfast, there wasn't enough for them to take a portion for lunch because w- both of them wanted it. Uh, both, of my, both of my kids wanted to take it to school for lunch. There wasn't enough for that, so the next morning I um, scrambled up some eggs. I chopped up the cabbage and pork belly, threw it in the eggs, uh, threw it in the pan with the sauce, and then put the leftover rice on top of it and just scrambled it all together. And they had cabbage, pork belly, fried rice for for breakfast. <laughs> for breakfast. And they were the happiest people in the world. And <laughs> and I was very disappointed because they ate it all, and I didn't really get to eat as much as I wanted. Luckily, you're not um, a child and can order from them again and make it yourself. <laughs> My son was it yesterday? Or we had it was it's the holiday weekend, so they're closed on Mondays. But he said to me, he goes, "They're closed on Mondays except for holidays, so they're open today." Can we go? And I'm like. How do you know this about them? How do you know? like? He's been there like three or four times. It's like his favorite, his one of his favorite restaurants. I would say that it it's is, his fa- favorite it, restaurant in the neighborhood. But he also knows this about. He knows the operating it's hours. Probably of the every best other restaurant, restaurant in the neighborhood, though. I I think it is. I think it's it, it's yeah. not fancy at all, but it's probably the the highest like quality highest food. quality food, highest yeah. quality most authentic food. Well, we're getting know, off uh, the balling on a budget thing because now <laughs> we're talking about eating out. Yeah. So uh, let's call it. Let's uh, let's take a commercial <laughs> break. And Sounds regroup. good. All right. You're listening to the Not A Foodie Show. We'll be back in a minute talking about something else that we'll probably get off topic on. At Not A Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram. Be back in a minute. Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture. It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session, tell them that the Not A Foodie Show sent you, and I'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount. 
BK Media Studio in the heart of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Right next to the G train. Brooklyn's most convenient studio. Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in to the Not A Foodie Show, 620 AM Radio Rampa. As always, it's Mike Moranti. Hey, and I'm Tommy Alley. And I'm joined by a very, very special guest, a very good friend of mine who I haven't seen in a very long time. Very, very. Yeah. Lots of varies there. So I'd like to introduce everybody <laughs> to the uh, amazing Miss Lizzie Asher. Hey, Lizzie. Uh, hi, guys. President, Welcome. co-founder of uh, Machu, Machu Pisco. Uh, one of the top Pisco brands in the United States. So, Lizzie? Well said. (laughs) What is Pisco? Um, Excellent question. Um, Pisco um, is a white spirit, very much like vodka or gin, um, but it's made from grapes. And it is... Like vermouth. Oh, vermouth, exactly. No, vermouth's a fortified one. No, it's like like a brandy. Yeah. Well, technically, Mm -hmm. it is a brandy. Okay. So that's its technical designation. But I always begin just simply by saying it's like gin or vodka. Why? Because it's 80 proof. So you drink it as a base spirit, right? In terms of cocktailing. It's also like gin because any cocktail that asks for gin, you can switch it with Pisco and it winds up being (laughs) really good. Oh, absolutely. And not only that, but depending on the grape, like you could also switch out vodka for sure. But that's why I say I and and I think it actually in terms of taste profile and nose profile sits probably in between those two large categories. But most importantly, I think Pisco is really the liquid soul of Peru. Ah. So much like tequila is the love of Mexicans, Pisco is the love of Peruvians. Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and ha- so it's but so it's made from it's made from grapes, but it's clear like yes. vodka. So does that mean that it's unaged in wood? Like like oh, most brandies yeah. and whiskeys. That's and a good question. Get yes. that color. Get that, get that caramel from being aged. Um, so well, this think, is clear. Yes, that's an excellent question. And think about it this way: um, number one, if you make a white spirit made from grapes and then you age it in wood, what is that? Uh, brandy. Cognac. Cognac. Exactly. Cognac. Okay. Yeah, yes. Which is a type of brandy. Yes. Yes. But yes, you're both correct. But most (laughs) importantly, you basically would make a cognac, and Peru doesn't want to make a cognac. Peru wants to make Pisco. And so, and most importantly, Peru has a very strict set of um, denomination of origin laws. And amongst those rules are that we cannot ever age. And by age, I mean putting it into a barrel. Okay. We rest our Pisco, and the DOC requires a three-month resting period. Um, is it a minimum of three months or just three months? A minimum of three months. We far exceed that, um, d- depending on each of our different brands um, that we produce. So does the does the resting process, um, the resting period sort of mellow out the flavor? I mean, you're not imparting any more flavor because you're not 
when you're resting it, I'm assuming you're resting it in what, like stainless steel yes, or something like that? Yes, pretty much. It must be something neutral. Okay. So our denomination of origin laws are intended, actually, to preserve the preserve Pisco at its inception point, really. Gotcha. So um, because the idea of having our denomination of origin laws was to really be true to how Pisco was made originally in the 1600s and to continue to represent the terroir of Peru. And so if you want to let those grapes come alive and represent the terroir, then you want minimal invasion in terms of what that liquid comes into contact with. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And, and Pisco is, from from what I know of Pisco, like if you, before, you know, Mike talked to me, because Mike worked at a, um, a San restaurant. San that's how we met. Absolutely. Uh, and, and he talked about Pisco, you know, gave me an education a few years ago. Um, but up until that point, Pisco for me was always something that was either at a Peruvian restaurant mm-hmm. um, or for some reason I associated with like the wild, wild west. Like, <laughs> was it, was, am I like off in that? No. Like, uh, no. L- Lizzie like... told me the best story. Okay. Um, actually. Oh, let's like, hear I like, it. I love so, that I had the best story. Pisco Bill and like <laughs> so, all these guys, right? Like, Pisco, uh, the Pisco Sour, the origin of the Pisco Sour was a white American yep. who moved to Peru and who he loved the whiskey sour, but he couldn't get them. Believe okay. it or not, he, he was a whiskey. Mormon from Utah. Wow. No, that's why he moved. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he just grabbed Pisco and he was making whiskey sours with Pisco. Wow. Yeah. What, and do you know what, like what time this was? I feel like that, that's, it, that's it? Our, yeah, question. no, that was um, in 1918. Okay. So, but the reason you're thinking of the Wild Wild West, even before Victor Morris, who was the gentleman from Utah, who um, transplanted down to Peru to work in the railroads, um, actually there is another cocktail that precedes the Pisco Sour, even though the Pisco Sour is the most famous cocktail. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the Pisco Punch. Okay. Yeah. And the reason I think you're thinking of the Wild Wild West is because the Pisco Punch was created by a Scotsman. in San Francisco during the Gold Rush era. Ah, okay. That's what you're thinking about that. Yeah, I feel like I'm in California, those old mm-hmm. bars always have names yes. with like a Pisco this <laughs> or, yeah. And they still use the word saloon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow, and that's so super interesting. And so before, um, what people don't realize is actually, you know, because in today's world, the East Coast, West Coast were so interconnected. But think about it this way. Back in those days, there wasn't a transcontinental railroad that connected the two coasts. Mm-hmm. So what did San Francisco depend on? They depend, depended on basically the maritime routes that connected North America to South America. Ah, okay. And the largest port in South America at the time was the port of Pisco. Ah, uh, there we go. Eureka. <laughs> As they say in gold times. Exactly. In- <laughs> so basically... All the um, shipping boats used to dock in Peru, and actually Pisco was made long before rum was even made. So we all now know rum as the, you know, spirit of choice for all the sailors in the high seas, but actually it was Pisco first. Wow. Because all the boats that crossed the Atlantic and came around through, you know, the Straits of Magellan and back up north, docked in the port of Pisco, loaded up a whole bunch of stuff, including Tons of Pisco and headed up to San Francisco. Now, I w- now those weren't stored in barrels. Correct. They were <laughs> stored in actually something called Piscus. 
I, what? Were you, you weren't even setting her up no, for that. No, I wasn't. I was not. I, I haven't set you up for any of this. The town of Pisco, the Pisco. Like, wow, you are a wealth of Pisco knowledge. Yes. Yeah. So, but but I said they weren't stored in barrels because you couldn't store it in wood. Absolutely. So this whatever Pisco. Okay. So Pisco's are yeah. So Pisco's are ceramic containers actually, and they were lined with beeswax. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there were ceramic containers. I mean, I'm all of five foot tall, so about my height, but thin. And mm-hmm. they would just, you know, be filled with Pisco. And so um, the first Pisco that made its way um, to the coast of San Francisco came in Pisco's, mm-hmm. born in the port of Pisco. So everybody knew it was Pisco from Peru. Wow. Um, Pisco yeah. from Pisco in Piscus. Correct. From Peru. <laughs> from Peru. Now say that three times no. super fast. <laughs> I will not. I will not. <laughs> um, but the really cool thing is that right when Pisco was coming to San Francisco, San Francisco was also getting for the first time doing trade with Hawaii. That if you guys think about it, Hawaii wasn't a state of the U.S. yet. Right. It was its own independent... It was a like, pineapple, pineapple farm, pretty yes! much. Yes! Yeah. And so San Francisco was getting all this amazing fresh pineapple. Hence, the Pisco Punch. Oh, wow! Which is Pisco, pineapple, and lime. That's awesome. I, I, I love... Like, Mike knows that, and our listeners know that I love geeking out about, like food history and, like, the little intricacies I, of all of this <laughs> stuff. I told Tom what Aramas Gin Fizz was. Oh. And he went and he found a guy, a friend of ours, that made one for him, and then he Amazon primed uh, orange water so <laughs> yeah. he can make them at home. So, oh. yes. So well, I could perfect them at home, not make them at home. Okay, perfect can them I just home. say something? Yes. Always. You can try making it with a Pisco. With, oh. <laughs> instead of gin. Instead of gin. And yes. Asher Pisco Fizz. Oh, and, Yes, and you know what? Mm. And use the um, you can use the cabranta, but I would say, and we'll talk about grapes in a little bit. But um, because pisco can be, as I said, made from grapes, and in Peru, our denomination of origin demarks that there are eight grapes from which pisco can be made. Okay, and they each grape has a different flavor profile. Uh-huh. I would different imagine. body, different. Uh, some of them are hotter than others. Yes. There's, there's a lot. Okay. Cabranta is when you make a pisco sour, you use cabranta. Yes. Okay. And the other ones are more like for achalado, which I, that was yes. the word I couldn't think of before. Achalado is a blend, mm-hmm. or um, the single varietal ones are more like for sipping. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well said. Wow. Um, I, I did this every day for like a year and a half. So I did, I'm glad I still got it. He drank still... plenty of pisco. Well, before Bring we get into before we get into like all of that, I, how did you get into this? How did you get into pisco? Okay. Well, I, I have to say I'm very lucky because um, I have a very gifted sister um, who went to business school and with the purpose and single mindedness to create Machu Pisco as a company. Um, my sister and I were both born and raised in Peru, mm-hmm. and we came to the U.S. when we were tweens, and it was very important for my mom to have us retain a lot of our cultural roots in Peru um, as we came here and still had to learn English and all of that. Um, so every school vacation, we got sent back down to Peru, and you know, lo and behold, one of those trips, my sister, um, at every family um, gathering very much like it happens. Sometimes you see this in the movies or TV in the South, everybody's sitting around the table and like 
carafes of, you know, lemonade come around during the summer. Well, you get carafes of pisco sour flowing, you know, after <laughs> they, they our meals. They make them in blenders, which is such a sin. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the right way to do it. You no, can't call it a sin, not. right? It is well, a sin. It, it is the you old... have the egg. You, can't, you have to shake the egg. Okay. But it's the it only instead. way to make it in the quantities in which it's we drink true. it. Yeah, <laughs> it's the only way to batch it. I hear yeah, you. Yeah. You don't batch. Are you kidding me? Everybody just guzzles them down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will tell you this story. There was the first time I took my husband to meet my family in Peru because, you know, and they and they do make them in the kitchen, in the blender, but then they serve them in these, you know, beautiful carafes that come out. And everybody had just a regular glass because you don't get a cocktail glass. It's just like a regular water glass. And everybody pours, gets poured out of this carafe. And the, you know, everybody starts drinking. And my husband drinks one. And my aunt notices, oh, okay, he finished it. So she serves him. Two and he goes glug 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 drinks a two <laughs> thinking he's just drinking again lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> the phone ring. My aunt stands up and my husband stands up also to reach for the carafe and I had to like nudge him and I'm like, "You're drinking booze. My <laughs> aunt is gonna tell my mom you're boozing it up." I'm like, he's like, "That was booze." He's like, "That's delicious." <laughs> I'm like, well, that's a pisco sour. <laughs> I'm sure he slurred a little bit when he said that's well, delicious. He yeah. actually. Believe it or not, he did pour himself a third because he had already <laughs> grabbed it and everybody saw him. But I was like, pace yourself. But by the time he finished the third, as he stood up to go to the dinner table, he's like, whoa. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they're also at-home Pisco Sour, so you're not exactly <laughs> following a bar spec. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, plus actually in Peru, we triple up our... We, yeah, the, the the ratio here is two to one. In Peru, it's three to one. It's for the American palate. Yeah, the watered down American palate. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, as foodies, you guys know they're adaptations. Oh yeah, know, things get brought here. But so, so you grew up drinking pisco, pisco sours was probably it, right? Like, yes, exactly. Like mostly pisco sours. Absolutely. Did you have like the old men in the quarter drinking straight pisco, or did they drink pisco yeah, sours as well? Game, yeah, right? it's, and, a, it's a game that you pass around the bottle. I, I mean, and also, I mean, my grandfather loved two things in the world, and one of them was whiskey, mm-hmm. um, and the other thing was Pisco. And actually, because he um, also loved whiskey, I always try to tell, you know, when I explain Pisco to people, I always say to people, Pisco, yes, there are three different styles of Pisco. As Michael was saying, you know, there are eight different grapes mm-hmm. from which Pisco can be made. Uh, out of the eight grapes, four of them are considered aromatic, four are considered non-aromatic. And to add diversity to that, there are three different styles, as Michael said. There are puros, or single grape varietal piscos, or otherwise known as just, you know, single varietal udvis. Okay. Then there are the acholado, which is the word in Spanish, which means a blend. And the third style is called the mosto verde um, style, in which it's, that's just a completely different beast, and it just stands it's the high end. Yeah, that's like it just it stands so far apart from what a, a puro and a nachalada would be. When we talked a little bit about this before, that's that's you said that it's not the grapes don't go through the full fermentation process at that point. Correct. Right? So what what does that do to it? It gives it um, more flavor from the grapes, or like do you pick up more flavor from the grapes? Do you pick up more of a musty flavor, like a yeasty flavor? No, because it, no? no it's, it's like pure. It's, it's like just, okay. It's like, grape. Yeah. It's like yeah, like okay. ambrosia, like just like from the gods. Like <laughs> I was gonna say, it doesn't taste like the seventies dessert. Description. No, <laughs> no, it's it's not Welch's. It's not Welch's pisco. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I would when I was selling pisco, I would call it the purest expression of the grape. 
Okay. Because you're you're taking the spirit and you're not doing anything to it. You're not. That means you know, that means Lizzie did a good job marketing to you if you were calling it the purest expression of the grape to your customers. Actually, to be honest, I never even thought about that. But yeah. I think it's just by drinking it and comparing it. And I'm good at selling stuff. <laughs> yeah, but you also have a discerning palate, so you. Mm-hmm. As you go through and taste all the different Piscos, even amongst all the different brands, you begin to realize that this type of style mm-hmm. kind of stands apart. Oh, yeah. Italia is my favorite. As a grape. Yeah. Yeah, that's your favorite grape. I, I can't it's... name all eight. I don't know if I've even had all eight as uh, Puro, but from what I've had, Italia is my favorite one. And actually, the Puro of Italia is what I was going to recommend to replace um, your gin. Gin, right, yeah. in, the, in the fizz. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. Interesting. It's, it, they think it's Moscato. That's now I'm going to have it. to go out and buy some bottles of Pisco. And, uh, no, yeah, yeah, but so the the Italia, they just know the grape comes from Italy, but now they think it's Moscato. Oh, okay. Well, Hence yeah. the name Italia because it's just I- Italy Italian and Spanish. Yeah. yeah, we just know the vines were brought over wow. by the Italian immigrants. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left. I want to talk about what um, La, Machu Pisco La Diablada does for uh, women in Peru. Oh. The outreach that you guys do, because I think it's really great. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, so um, first of all, a lot of people um, assume, as I said, I got into this because my this was my sister's single vision to bring Pisco to the U.S. Um, she kept on saying, why is this not in the U.S.? What happened? She studied the history. This has been her ambition and dream and purpose forever as I know her. Um, and it's really interesting because a lot of people assume that this was something we inherited from grandpa or our father did this. And no, she went to business school and she created her business plan at Harvard to do this. And one of the really revolutionary ways um, of changing up how we operate versus everybody else is that we actually had only um, we're self-funded. We have X amount of money. And she decided that we, number one, didn't need to own our distillery and we didn't need to own our lands. Because there was an agricultural revolution in Peru in the 1970s, there's excess production in distilleries, and there are many small farmers uh, who now, with the growth of other Pisco companies, are kind of being left out of the market and kind of being forced to change their agriculture and changing what they're planting. And so what we have done is um, we are working with co-op farmers, a lot of them women farmers, and in particular, uh, and most importantly, Importantly to me, also bringing women grape pickers on the field. Um, we handpick our grapes, um, and in the last few years, our you know wasn't something that was seen, which was to have women working on the field, right? The mm. kind of deemed men right, manual right, labor right. for men. Um, but we're big believers that there's no reason why women couldn't do that job as well. And actually, we have had so many women over time come, and now they are daughters as they've grown. They've come, and sometimes you have the women actually with the kids. Also, they'll bring the kids to the fields, and you know we make sure to provide for all of them, and we make sure that this way the women bringing home the income um, because they're really the ones who are the providers for so the entire family because in Peru— you can only make Pisco one time a year, and that's immediately following harvest. That's one of the, again, mm. denomination of origin laws. Right. Pisco must be made in Peru from fresh grape must. So that means that these farmers have only one opportunity to make money that will last them until next harvest. Wow. 
Um, and that's really important because, you know, it, it, it's almost as a, a beach town. We're now entering, you know, yeah, right. the summer uh -huh. right. A lot of the beach communities. It's seasonal work. Uh -huh. Absolutely. And so this is the way that we found that we work best to support the women and the children in the community. We work um, with a nonprofit in um, the Pisco and Chincha area where um, they're helping a lot of the kids and their educational um, wow, so educational you're, resources. You're not only fostering the you know the independent business model, independent farming farming yeah. model, but also you know developing the community around that so that you know people can afford to do oh, this. Oh gosh, yes, right? yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, and my sister has gotten a lot of backlash in a way for the way that we operate. Um, she has a nickname, um, which we laugh at, but um, that was given to her um, that was meant in a derogatory way. Um, she's called La Gringa. Mm -hmm. And as you guys know, I mean, really, if you guys travel down there and somebody goes yes. to the Gringa, they're kind of trying to take advantage of you. And they call her the Gringa because she came down. And one of the very important things for us was actually to pay fair wages. So fair trade standards are just like imbued in how we operate period. Um, I mean, I can tell you that um, what we end up paying for our wages, people just thought we were crazy and that we we were, my sister was told and we were told that we were ruining the farmers because they were going to get used to something that wasn't going to last. Right. Everybody said the way that you're operating, your margins are going to falter, you're not going to survive and you're going to have ruined them because their expectations that they should earn that. <laughs> Imagine wow. telling somebody that went to the Harvard Business School that their business plan was wrong. Well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but that's the way that it is, right? If you've got something that's been going on for generations and you're coming in and you're shaking it up by paying a living wage, a living wage and figuring exactly. out how to sustainably do that, like right. make it a sustainable business. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's uh, people. People get uh, angry at those sorts of things when you're shaking things up, right? And you know, and th that, but that's why you know, like meeting people like Michael and Sensicana, who were just so great at bringing in our pisco and hearing our story and supporting us. We always say, you don't just actually support us and our company. Um, us staying in business, we know the entire kind of in a way ecosystem that we support back in Peru. Right. So sometimes, you know, it's really hard when people say, can you give me a discount? And people start obsessing over saving a penny or two on an ounce per cost basis for a cocktail. Yeah. Because a couple of pennies here translate to so much over there. And in the last couple of years, we actually have been working with farmers to encourage them to change some of their agricultural practices because the agribusinesses have made huge inroads into Peru from the time we started until now. When we first launched the company, people used to ask us all the time, are you guys organic? And we would say, well, we're not certified organic. I mean, you can tell I'm the lawyerly person. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> disclaimer, no, we're not. Uh, but in a way, de facto, we are because the cooperative of farmers we work with don't have the money to be buying the really expensive agro chemical like fertilizers, herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, you know, all the all the sides. Yeah. And uh. <laughs> but that's killed so much of what was happening on the ground with the birds. I and, heard about um 
a small uh, vineyard in France, and they were like, "We're not. A, we practice organic farming, right? But we only have two parcels or whatever. So those the stuff that we have to spray to not lose it, we're gonna spray so we don't lose it. Yeah. And like that's." Well, it's, it's one of the one of the problems that we have in in this country is that organic is something that people have been done uh, have been doing for years and years and years and years. If you um if you want to be certified organic, you have to pay. If you're not going to be yeah. certified organic, you can get subsidies by you know by chemical companies and and things like that. So yeah. it's it's a little bit backwards, but you know organic means organic means doing things the way that they were done. Previously, yeah. that, that worked. Yeah, that, that worked. That worked for years and years and years. So. But you know what? Michael brings up a really good point. Because what he just said about this example in um, France, which is we only have two parcels. This is what we grow, and we run the risk of losing it, right? right. If we don't use these chemicals. And, Michael, we actually were having this exact same conversation with a lot of the farmers, the ones who have migrated and started introducing all these chemicals. And they said, look, this is our only harvest, again, we understand if they don't make money from this harvest, you know, they're lost until the following year. So actually, and to be honest, I was freaking out when my sister decided to do this. Um, and it was a huge leap of faith, but we needed them to take a huge leap of faith. And we knew that we might take a hit, but in order to have them go reverse their practices, so they could see that they could use other methods to grow the grapes without having to rely on the herbicides and the pesticides and all of that. We said, we are going to guarantee you that we will pay you out exactly the same amount that we did the year before based on that tonnage, whether you produce it or not. Oh, wow. Wow. So we promised that across the board to all the farmers. And so we said, you won't take the risk. We'll take the risk because we want to work with grapes that are clean. Right. And right. you wow. won't have to assume that. And so that means that in the last couple of years, our grape cost has gone up 60%. But guess what? We tested our grapes, not only in Peru, we send them out to Napa, and there's nothing and, that's showing up in them. And when you're, when you're drinking a, something like Pisco, which is just the grape and nothing else, you need... Yes. Great, great. Well, so exactly. yeah, so you've got the quality. Exactly. The quality is, you know, stays the same, but you're also becoming now you're becoming partners with your farmers. You're you're yeah, yeah you're business partners with them and you're saying that we're going to take over this risk to to bring you along. It's uh it's pretty amazing. Well, I mean, I can't believe how long yeah, we we've have been talking, but we have oh, to I'm take sorry, a break. Guys. No, 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 no it's awesome. great. It's great. So, um you'll stick around. We'll come yeah. back and we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk Fun cocktails after yes. this. <laughs> All right, I cool. like that. <laughs> All right, this is the Not A Foodie Show, at Not A Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram, and we'll be back in a minute. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com.
Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture. It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session, tell them that the Not A Foodie Show sent you, and I'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount. BK Media Studio in the heart of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Right next to the G train. Brooklyn's most convenient studio. Welcome back to the Not A Foodie Show at Not A Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram and wherever podcasts are heard. Lizzie, what's your social? At Machu Pisco? Yes. Underscore exactly. or one word? Um, for Twitter, one word. For Insta, at Machu. Um, underscore? Yes. yes, underscore. Thank you, Pisco. Okay. That oh third gosh. voice that you hear is Lizzie Asher. <laughs> Lizzie is uh, the president of Machu Pisco. And she's with us to talk cocktails because it's that time of the podcast. And so, uh, Mike. So it has to be a Pisco cocktail. I mean, me, right? yeah. Like, so it, this is the first cocktail that I ever wrote that made onto a cocktail list. Okay. It's called the Sophia Loren. I like the name. So all the... Um, I'd be, I'm, I'm three-quarters Italian. All I the grapes so have nicknames. All the Pisco grapes have nicknames. So the Italian grapes nickname is uh, Sophia Loren. And Lizzie actually told me that. I was like, oh, that's a great name <laughs> Wait, for Wait, all oh, the Italian grapes in... No, no, no. Sorry. All the Pisco grapes have Pisco nicknames. Pisco grapes all have nicknames. So and the then Italia the grapes yes. nickname is Sophia Loren. Sophia Loren. So it's a Pisco white Negroni. Okay. So it's a one part Pisco. All right. One part Cocchi Americano, which is an aperitif. Mm-hmm. And one part, uh, we used Berto, uh, dry vermouth, because we wanted oh. to keep it all Italian. Gotcha. With... Um, an atomizer of absinthe, but you could do a, a wash if you don't have a little spray bottle. Mm-hmm. And a lemon peel, some lemon zest. Wow. Really, really refreshing, delicious, light on the palate. It's really like the perfect aperitif cocktail. That sounds really delicious. Yeah, I know. I'm really good at my job. I don't... <laughs> Jackass. <laughs> it actually was super delicious and really easy going mm-hmm. down. That's I, that's what I look for in a cocktail. I um, what did I do? Because we had the entire. It took Sen a long time to open, mm-hmm. so I I met a girl and I invited her over and I turned all the lights sexy and I had music playing and I made it for her. Like <laughs> and it was just me, her, and nobody it's, else. In the Alexa put on sexy mode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was a very cool New York City restaurant moment. <laughs> Nice. Lizzie, what are, you, what are you drinking tonight? Um, Well, as you guys know, I love Sensicana here in the city, and I also love another Peruvian restaurant um, that is in Brooklyn called... Oh, please say the Llama Inn. Yes, yeah. that's exactly oh what I was going to say. We, that's, this is the second or third time the Llama Inn. You've never been, right? I have not been. Oh, Wait, okay. one of my favorite when you places. Took oh, it, you have been. When yeah, you oh, took yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. to the Llama Inn, I hurt my back the day before, and I oh, couldn't get out of bed. Oh, my God. That's right. I actually took the team from <laughs> Sensacana to Lama uh-huh. just for them to have an idea of something amazing that was already being done in the mm-hmm. city. So they'd have a point of reference and I introduced them to the team over there. It's Lama has literally been on my mind since you started talking like like a half hour ago. Like I know I it's just been that it's one of those places. It's like the last great 
place that I went that I was just completely surprised. Like it had just opened up. I had walked in. It was a couple of years ago. Yeah. I had walked in. It was like a random rainy Tuesday night and had like the meal of my life. And I've been back three or four times. Oh, since. I'm so excited it's, like, to hear you places. say that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, believe it or not, um, their first year out, I mean, the New York Times. Yeah, no, he deemed them one of the best yeah. openings of the year in 2017. It was them and yeah. uh, Lilia were on the same list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's really outstanding. And actually, for anybody who can't travel out to Brooklyn, actually, they're opening uh, La Mita in New York in City. Chelsea, right? Um, more a little bit more West Villagey. Okay. Um, but I don't know that they're going to have a liquor license. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but in Brooklyn right now, they actually have a, um, on tap, a cocktail called Peruvian Tiki. Um, and Mm -hmm. I love Tiki and I'm a big proponent of actually having, um, Pisco and Tiki cocktails other than just the fog cutter. Um, going back to what you were saying, because you were saying, oh, Pisco is a brandy and the fog cutter calls for brandy. Okay. So, believe it or not, Smuggler's Cove out in San Francisco was the first tiki cocktail in the U.S. to use pisco in their fuck cutter recipe, and it is outstanding. Wow. Um, but Llama Inn is doing their own completely new, um, you know, tiki Peruvian cocktail, and it's on top, and it has machu pisco, so it's our single grape pisco made from the quebranta grape. Mm-hmm. It has goji berries. Um, yeah. I know, right? Delicious. Um, it ha- And it has ginger, obviously. Um, but the flavors are just so tropical, yet with like a hint of South America. And it's just super delicious. And it's on tap, so it, they just have to... Exactly. So no and... wait time to just keep on drinking them down. That's awesome. I, I, so I, I was thinking my cocktail, um, I had no idea until we started talking Pisco. And now... I've got two that I, I, or three, I don't know. I want to do everything with Pisco. No, no, no. So this is what I want to do. Like, like, you know, there's the Ramos Gin Fizz. I might go, go and try to make the Gin Fizz with the Pisco. Um, But really what sounds delicious is the Pisco Punch. And you described it in the last segment, but um, I feel like that's a perfect little summertime, like barbecue. Do you use Quebranta? Yes, I actually always use the Machu Pisco. And actually, I'm a huge proponent of doing a Pisco Punch also for um, just the easiest way to cocktail at home because I have to say, I know you guys are probably like uber sophisticates. No. But I have (laughs) zero skills in the kitchen. And if you were to come to my house, my Pisco Punch would, I kid you not, just be straight up dull pineapple juice, Real lemon, you know, lemon uh-huh. uh, from the soup, both ingredients from the supermarket, but with a really excellent matcha pisco. And just the body of the pisco will be doing all the work for you. I love uh, that. Yeah, I always, I'm a big proponent of just buying pineapple and blending it. Yeah, uh, that requires <laughs> taking out a blender and plugging <laughs> it in and cutting up slices of pineapple. I, I, use, I use my stove to like house things on top of it. <laughs> well, I'll make you a deal. I'll I'll cook and you make the punch. 
Yes. <laughs> Happy to. Happy to. And I will even do it, you know, royale style by adding champagne to top it off. You can Ooh, also... I was thinking of adding Bo- bubbles to it. I was thinking of either carbonating it or adding bubbles. You know. Or boozy cherries dropped in there, too. Is really, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Ooh, delish. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're running out of time. Yeah, that's about so, it. So, um... I think uh, this was like my favorite episode ever. Not not to you know, not to diss all of our previous guests, but <laughs> I, it hit all the notes for me. It hit booze. It hit like geeking out on food history. You learned things. I learned lots of things. So Lizzie, thanks for joining us. This is oh, the not a foodie happy to, show. Happy to be here I'm with so you guys. I'm so happy we got to do this finally. Yes. I know. Much overdue. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening at Not a Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram. We'll see you soon. Bye. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking to advertise to a food and restaurant-loving audience? The Not A Foodie Radio Show has advertising opportunities available that fit a range of budgets. For a free consultation or for more information, email info at notafoodie.com. That's info at notafoodie.com.